Hey, you may notice we're doing something different today. I brought one of my favorite leaders on, on stage with us uh, because we're talking about power couples as we get started. We're not a power couple. We're <laughs> staff mates, okay? Uh, our spouses serve uh, and volunteering on the mornings. But uh, I thought we're, I think we're supposed to start with a game. Is that what we're supposed to do? We are. And so I'm going to give you a few clues. And if you know this couple, when I say it, go ahead and shout it out. So the first year of their relationship was over the phone. They tried to patent their daughter's name. The hint is their, her initials are B-I-C. And they've won two Grammys together, but 43 individual. Beyonce and Jay-Z. Awesome. Look, they did well with this one. Awesome job. I'll just be honest with you. The first hour was a little nervous. They <laughs> didn't quite engage as well as you did. Now, this one's going to be kind of a gimme, okay? So you guys should get this pretty quickly, but... This power couple has their own TV show, but they do not have a TV in their own home. They both went to school at Baylor, but did not meet there. Yeah, see, if I said Shiplop right out of the gate, we'd all jump. Yeah, it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. <laughs> all right, and our third and final couple. This couple got engaged over a simple evening meal of roasted chicken. He claims that he fell in love with her TV personality before he actually met her. And guys, they're literally royalty. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Good job. Very good. See? So, you know, power couples tend to be all the rage, don't they? You know, whether it's uh, standing at the grocery aisle and kind of looking at all the magazines or whether you're watching evening television, power couples seem to be all the attention that people grab towards. The reason is, I, I think basically because individually there's something spectacular, but together there's something even more that they could be, not be on their own. And so whether you're thinking about uh, the former president, uh, Barack Obama, and his wife, Michelle, or whether you're thinking about just a group of people that you know that are now together, you start seeing how their gifts come together and how it makes it so much more beneficial for everyone else. You know we've been in this series called Fierce, and as we've been making this discussion, we've tried to talk about how women are seen throughout Scripture and how to best understand a hermeneutic of why they're so impactful and why they're mentioned the way they are. We made this comment in the opening week, and we want to make sure we say it again. But here's been our statement. We've just said, while women have not always been prominent, they have always been preeminent. And what we meant by that, that is this. While scripture tends to be male dominant, it does not mean that women do not have an influence. You may not see them on every single page, but the truth of the matter is they are preeminent. When their gifts are utilized and when they're mentioned in scripture, they are significant to the movement and the culture of what's trying to happen in those moments. As a matter of fact, we'd probably go as far as to say because of the gospel, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the floodgates are open for ministry and opportunity for everyone to use their gifts and to be a part of the kingdom of God. So here's the, the big idea we want to celebrate today, and it's just simply this, that when everybody uses their gifts, everyone wins. When everyone uses their gifts, everyone wins. And so when we think about that a little bit, we want to really focus today on a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And the truth of the matter is, the passages that we will be looking at are really about the Apostle Paul, his missionary journeys, his trips that he's taking to begin to spread the gospel throughout the world. But Aquila and Priscilla are partners in this relationship, and they're mentioned multiple times throughout the New Testament. And you see them not only as being partners, but you see them actually influencing the direction of the church as a whole. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18 today. That's where Aquila and Priscilla are first introduced. 
And we're going to understand a little bit about who they are and the context by which we're going to jump into this conversation. Here's what it says. After this, Paul, meaning Paul the apostle throughout scripture, Paul left, uh, left Athens and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, the husband, a native of Pontius who had recently come from Italy and his wife named Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Now Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed with them and worked with them. Now the ruler in Rome, Claudius of the day, had asked for the removal of all the Jews. And so they're on movement. They're out uh, taking their trade, their craft, their household, and they're moving in time. What's happening is God is also using this moment to orchestrate a partnership and a relationship. Paul, who's had a significant conversion of fighting against God, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, is on his own journey, and Aquila and Priscilla come alongside. Their shared mission, their understanding of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ being the transformative power of the day, they begin to come together. And they find that their professions and their livelihood work well together. And this provides an opportunity for them to move forward. Paul actually moves on, actually. Uh, in the coming verses, you begin to realize that he, uh, while spending time with them and investing with them, he leaves them there to continue doing ministry, both their professional work and from their own passions of, the, of ministry. And he moves on to continue through his missionary work. But what we notice is this side-by-side -side relationship where they're coming together, they're investing in their profession, they're investing in their household, they're investing in their faith, and they are all using their gifts to the glory and to the benefit of God. And this is kind of where we start to see a shift or a change in scripture, where we see Priscilla's name start coming first. And this was no accident. This wasn't, oh, like I accidentally put her name first instead of Aquila. This was very purposeful. In the Bible, as you read it, and if you look and it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We didn't have italicized print. We didn't have bolded print to really emphasize something. What they would do is they would either repeat a word to really hone in on this is the importance, or we would see the name placed first, meaning this is the person in charge. This is the person who is leading at this time. And so we start seeing Priscilla's name first in a lot of these scriptures. The cool thing about that is Priscilla is empowered and equipped to use her gifts equally in the kingdom of God. She uses her voice. She's a fantastic communicator. She led house churches. She was an amazing prayer. She had friends everywhere. She used her voice and she used her influence there wasn't a shortage of men wanting to take charge or male leadership during that time. She simply had an impact and an influence over people. Ladies, you have a voice. You have gifts. You have influence. You have desires and passions that only God could have given you. And can I tell you, you can use them not in spite of being a woman, but because you are a woman. God has given you so many cool abilities and people you can talk to that only you can talk to. It's incredible, ladies. Use your voice. Get on that platform and do your thing. Can I tell you there are three ways that Priscilla and Aquila make a power couple. Wherever they went, they took their faith with them. Acts 18, 18, and 19 says Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. 
Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at the Centuria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, which means wherever they were, they could take their profession because a tent maker, they make tents. So everybody was in need of tents and everybody was in need of some sort of leather work and they could provide that service. And so uh, what it probably looked like is they worked on the bottom level of a building and that's where they would do all of their business. And up above that is probably where they lived. And I'm sure that Priscilla entertained and talked with people and made disciples there, but also in the place where they worked. And Paul came to stay with them. And it says that he stayed with them for probably 18 months. You don't just stay with somebody for 18 months and not have a bond and a relationship. And I'm sure that he stayed with them for so long because he saw their faith lived out. He saw that they were equally yoked. He saw that they were making disciples and making an impact. And he was at home. He loved them. So it was incredible that he stayed for so long. During his time with them and as they kind of traveled, they they made three house churches to the cities that they lived in. And it says that they were in Corinth, in Ephesus, and in Rome. That's some awesome dedication. That's a commitment. That means whenever they moved, they just dug in and started preaching and teaching the people about the word of God. Some of you have lived here your whole life. And some of you have lived here maybe six, eight, ten years. And some of you, this may be your first Sunday in Champaign. Can I ask you, what are you doing to impact the kingdom of God? What are you doing where you live, work, and play to influence people for Jesus? How are you using your voice? How are you impacting his kingdom while you're here? You know, early on in, in, in ministry, after Jesus had died and been buried and rose again, there was a whole new liberation that began of inviting all people to be a part of the ministry of God. And people began to be used in different ways. And Priscilla and Aquila step up as being a couple side by side that show this opportunity in their work, in their play, and everywhere they went. The second thing they did, though, was whoever the, they met, they made an impact. Sometimes I think we live in our church world and we live in our home world, right? Or we live in our work world. And we act different ways in different things. And Priscilla and Aquila don't have this model. What they have as a model is because of their relationship with Jesus Christ and how God has changed them, everything they do and everything that they are is about God. And so because of that, they're leveraging their profession. They're leveraging their household. They're leveraging their relationships. And we see significant engagement happen with anyone that comes into their lives. Acts 18 describes a person that comes into their life of faith and how they work with them. It says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and had thir- with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak uh, boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home, and they explained the way of God more accurately." See, there's a transition that's happening even in Apollos' understanding of his relationship with God. And because of Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection, he's now beginning to put his faith together in a different context and play it out. But he has this very powerful gift. 
He has great knowledge and understanding of scriptures, and he's a great orator. When he stands up and speaks, people listen to him. But as Priscilla and Aquila are listening to him, she's listening with a, a learned ear as well. And she realizes, while he knows a lot and is mostly accurate, he only understands part of it. The description is that Apollos understands John's baptism. Remember John the Baptist? He's the one who baptized Jesus, and he is the one calling for a way of repentance. And the baptism that John is inviting people to is simply an invitation of surrender, of I'm changing my allegiance, a repentance. But the baptism that Jesus now invites us to is a reminder of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, where we identify because of the work of Jesus Christ. While we repent of who we are, we are now putting our life into the hands of Jesus. And we are, because of God's salvation that came through Jesus, promised the Holy Spirit. Now, Priscilla and Aquila could have handled this a lot of different ways. You know, and uh, you know, I, I love this post because they, uh, or I love this passage because they don't post it on Facebook. I don't, I don't know if they didn't have, you know, maybe social media. Maybe they called it cable, t uh, camel talk, or something like that. I don't know. You know, maybe they had some sort of platform by which they would handle it. But let's be honest. Sometimes, as people as the church, we make bold or blanket or obnoxious statements on social media, trying to correct people as if that's a great way to engage people, and it's, it's really bad, right? But Priscilla and Aquila, they, they reach out to Apollos. They invite him into their home. They probably share a meal. They talk about their relationship with Christ and what that means. They're both heading on this new way of the Lord. And they're saying, but do you understand that this is what your baptism is about? This is what your surrender towards Jesus means. This is why the gospel is so powerful for us and the gifts that we now have. For the sake of the church and of their own maturity, they help restore and educate a young pastor, preacher, to be able to speak more fully. And it's to our benefit. Matter of fact, when you continue to read the New Testament, there's more conversations about Apollos. Apparently, Apollos' gift gets very good. He becomes quite the preacher. And people begin to follow after him. Imagine that, church people having their favorite pastor, right? You know. <laughs> and so, literally, Paul begins to confront this. He says, you know what? Some of us follow Paul. Some of us follow Apollos. But the reality is we're only supposed to be following Jesus. It's never about following a personality, but the person of God. It's not about celebrating the gift, but the gift giver. And Paul, Apollos, has the privilege of leveraging his gift differently and his knowledge because Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside. And Priscilla specifically pours into his life, communicates into his life, how ministry could be different. And we can probably imagine that somewhere along the line if Priscilla and Aquila wouldn't have pulled him aside, wouldn't have talked to him, he probably would have gotten it. He probably would have come to know the scriptures, but she did. They did invite him in. I'm sure they shared meals. I'm sure they were graceful about it. And can you imagine the ripples that that made, that they shared their faith with Apollos? And it says that there was Paul, and Apollos. So he continued on and on and on because of the way that Priscilla helped him. And this probably wasn't an anomaly. This probably wasn't a one-time thing. I'm sure it happened over and over again. I'm sure she invited people in. I'm sure that they had, you know, dinners together with people and helped them grow in their faith. 
The third way they were a power couple is whatever they did, they glorified God. Whether that was making tents, going with Paul on his mission trips, risking their life. In Romans 16, 3 through 5, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Whenever Paul closes out his letters, he's so heartfelt. He's so loving and compassionate, and this doesn't fail in any way. It says, greet them for me. When you live with somebody for 18 months, you care about them. You connect with them. He loved them and missed them. He called them my coworkers. This is big because Paul was a lone ranger. He kind of did his own thing. He went on his own missionary journeys, but these were his co-laborers. He saw them as equals and people that fought and did ministry with him. He says, they risked their lives for me. And we can only guess that this is a reference to the riots that happened in Acts 19. And then he concludes, not only I, but all the Gentile churches are grateful. So there were three churches that they had that they planted, but their influence went far beyond those three churches. So people that heard about Priscilla and Aquila and those people who heard about them and those people who heard about them. I mean, it really was a ripple effect and the influence that they had. When Priscilla used her gifts, everyone won. When you use your gifts, everyone wins. The best part, it was multiplied from person to person, trade to trade, city to city, and church to church. Priscilla understood the primary goal and purpose of her gifts, her passions, and her desires was to take part in the multiplication of the disciples of the kingdom of God. Oftentimes you'll hear us make this statement that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Uh, sometimes I think people get tired of us making this comment. But the truth of the matter is, God did, God did not come just to save a generation of people. You understand that? That God didn't just save us to save us, but that the whole world might know God's love. And so there is a responsibility for each and every one of us. Hear me on this. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not a Christ follower, understand this. That those of us who have surrendered our lives back to God, that we believe in the power and the work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, being able to give us the forgiveness of sin and empower life everlasting, that we have a responsibility in and of our, our, our creator to use the gifts that God has given us, to surrender our lives to God, and then pour it into other people. And Priscilla is that embodiment. When the early church is beginning, we begin to see everyone reached, everyone empowered, and everyone released to do ministry, to multiply what God has given them, to begin to show up in others around them. So let me just pause for a moment. We're, we're having this conversation to let us know that we all have gifts. We all have a place. If we have accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ, we understand there is a stewardship to take the talents that we have, the abilities that we have, the relationships that we're a part of, the profession that we have, the home that we live in, leverage everything back to God. Not simply for ourselves, but for those who travel with us. Whether that be people in our home, or whether that be people in our work, whether that be people where we play, we are called to multiply the transformative work in Jesus in us and to other people's lives. So let's move to our time of response.
I just wanted to share a little bit about my life today as I was studying for Priscilla and Aquila and reading the scriptures. It really was encouraging to see how she leveraged her faith. And it was encouraging to see them as a couple um, use their faith for Jesus and to impact tons and tons of people. Um, I've been married for almost 20 years to an amazing guy named Jeremy, and he keeps me grounded. He is truly a saint. And so when he um, has to hear about my day or I've had something bad happen or I'm like, I've got to have this conversation with somebody and I'm, I'm just not looking forward to it. Can you just pray for me? Please just pray for me and help me get through this. Sometimes he sends me this picture. And it's funny, and I laugh every time I get it. But this is his way of being like, girl, you got this. There is nobody else that God is gifted in this time to have this conversation but you. And there is no other time and no other person that can have this conversation about their marriage than you. So go and be you and go and do your thing. Jeremy and I do ministry inside these walls, but we also do ministry outside these walls. This is a picture of our family, and they're all shades of beautiful. And God has gifted Jeremy and I with the ability to do foster care and adoption. And we love it. I couldn't have chosen a better ministry if I had to choose it myself. We are able to care for kids who have gone through unthinkable and unimaginable things and love them and care for them and help them heal and teach them a whole lot about Jesus. Because isn't that really what Jesus does with us? He just loves us and helps us heal and cares for us. Can I tell you, every one of you has a desire and has a passion. Every one of you, God has gifted you with something that he wants you to be using. And if you're just quiet, and if you listen to the stillness of his voice, can I tell you, he'll reveal it to you. Wasn't it Popeye that said, I can stands what I can stands, but I can't stands it no more. What's your holy discontent? What can't you stand any longer? What is burning in your soul that says, I'm gonna step up and I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna do this. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you have the resources. It doesn't matter if you're broken. It doesn't matter. God says, all I want you to do is be available. Could you just be available? I promise you, if you just say to God, I'm here, how do you want to use me? That he will show up in ways that blow you away. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, you are good. You are so, so good. And Jesus, everybody in this church has different passions, different desires, different giftedness. But God, I pray that you would use them all for your glory. God, I pray that you would show up in ways that they may be laughed about when they talk to you about it, but you show up and you meet that need so that they can leverage it for your kingdom. Oh God, you are good. And we are so thankful to be in a church that loves you and loves women and loves couples and loves singles and loves youth. Jesus, thank you. God, would you help us be disciple makers today, be world changers, and be multipliers of your word. Amen. If you're new to first, uh, this time may be new to you. We call this time our response time, and it's intentional in its design that we want to help put feet to some of the things that God may be stirring in us right now.
We have a few stations around the room that we encourage and invite people to participate in. First, we have prayer benches up front. Many times people will come and they'll pause. Maybe, maybe there's something that's gone on in their week that they want to pause and pray about. Maybe it's uh, some news that they got. Maybe it's a struggle they're going through. Maybe it's a moment to celebrate something that, that's happening in their lives. But whatever it is, it's an open opportunity for us to come, to pause, and to pray before God and just say, God, this is my heart. Maybe it's as simple as using your gifts, stepping up and stepping out. Maybe it's a critical decision or a relationship or something that God is working on in your life. We use these prayer benches in a moment to to come to pray and to pause before God. We also have six tables around the room. There's a candle on them. There's a tray that's there. It reminds us that Jesus said on the night before he was betrayed, he took some bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the wine or the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And it was a foreshadowing, a conversation of taking a portion of their history of faith and now saying that what was to come, his death, his burial and resurrection would be the payment for our sin. The payment of all payments would empower life everlasting in those who believe. And so we will come forward, and if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you believe in that sacrifice, we invite you to come to those tables. It's an open invitation to eat the bread, to drink the juice, to put the cup in the container in the middle. And people do it differently. Some come and just eat the bread and drink the juice and put the cup in. Some grab the bread and juice and step to the side, maybe pray with a friend, pray with a family member. But as you come, we celebrate and we commemorate that it is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, him conquering both sin and death that gives us new life. The last way we respond, though, is this, is we have these give and respond boxes. Not everybody takes us up on these opportunities. And people maybe have decisions of faith that they make and they write on a connection card or something that they want the church to pray with them about. But it's a time to give of our resources. Recently, we had a a daughter of our church, so to speak, come to us. She's recently been married. She's been praying about some next steps. They've been praying about some next steps. And she came and asked us, she says, I want to be a missionary. I want to go to the other side of the world. I want to be able to teach. And I wonder if the first Christian would partner with us. You know, we set our budgets in August of every year. We get started for that to happen for that coming calendar year. And then that budget picks up in January and it plays through December. And so when somebody comes to you on, in May and says, hey, we're praying about this and God's prepared us, we have, to be, we have to be wise about the stewardship that we're a part of. It's a long time before a new budget gets approved. It's a long time before we could maybe just jump in But this is what I love about our church. I love about our eldership. What I love about the opportunities that we have. We were able to tell that young couple, absolutely, we'll get behind you. We'll find a way to do this. And we have confidence for two reasons that we can say that. One, because of the people that are here, right? We don't give because we feel like it. We don't give because we're waiting for something to tickle our heart. We don't give because uh, it's, it's what we have to do. We give because we believe 
that the ministry of this church happens well beyond our fingertips, impacts the world well beyond us. But we believe in the mission of what God's doing here. We believe that God has empowered the church to be the hope of the world. And so when God raises up people to use their gifts, to take on ministry, when God stirs that in us, we want to be able to respond. We want to be able to see our own Priscilla reach out, multiply a generation that multiplies a generation so that when we stand in eternity with God and she brings her friends from the other side of the world, she'll be able to say, this was my church family and they sent me to you because of the work of the gospel. The second reason we're confident, perhaps the most powerful reason we're confident is because we know God provides. Friends, we have a chance to respond. Whether it be through prayer, whether it be through communion, whether it be through our given response boxes or the Give app, we have a chance to respond. So I'm gonna go ahead and ask you to stand to your feet if you would now. And some of us may stand with our hands in our pockets and think and reflect. Some of us may sit back down and begin to pray. Some of us, when the music begins, may just jump in and sing, and others may take a first step towards a station to respond. But this moment is not about just doing stations or holding tradition. It is about reflecting our obedience back to God to commemorate this moment before God with each other that all of us have been given the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. All of us have been empowered by his Holy Spirit and therefore all of us have the responsibility to live a life of love in the church and the world around us. Let's respond.